What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Everybody and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with Chris Husted, co-host. Hello. How's it going tonight, buddy? Pretty good. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm feeling good. That episode pretty... was nuts. So much going on. Cannot wait to start talking about it. Before we begin, what are you drinking this evening? Uh, I have Buffalo Trace bourbon, Kentucky bourbon on the rocks. Ooh. What about you? Ooh. Well, I was be- feeling like I was going to crash before the show tonight. So I made coffee, but it's not just coffee. I spiked it. So I am drinking spiked <laughs> coffee this evening. What did you spike and- it with? <laughs> Kahlua. So not <laughs> interesting. <laughs> wow. But still enjoying That's myself a- nonetheless. That is delicious, actually. Uh, it's a good evening evening drink. Anyway, so, um, before we begin, just want to continue to tell everybody, you know, there's only two episodes after left after this. Um, Aw. It, it's sad. We're, we're finally coming to an end. It's been a great season. We've loved talking to you guys about it. Um, obviously, we're going to have to wait until next fall to do next season, but we don't want to wait until then to talk to you guys. And so... We are wondering if you had ideas of other shows that we should pick up on and, and start doing, um, shows starting in the winter here, starting soon, that we could start podcasting on in the meantime. Um, maybe we'll even do a summer one after the spring or winter spring season ends. I don't know. Um, we just enjoy doing this for you. So if you have ideas, it could be a show that's already on that maybe is only in, you know, done its first season or something like that, or a, sh- a show that's brand new, just coming out now that you think looks really interesting. Um, if you have those ideas, go ahead and email them to thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, or of course you can leave them as a comment on our Facebook page, which is This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, as always, we always want to rec- or, uh, ask you guys to um, you know check out our website at thisamericanhorrorstory.com and uh, leave us some reviews and ratings on iTunes at This American Horror Story, because that is very much appreciated. We watch a buttload of TV, so feel free to suggest anything. We watch yep. everything on the spectrum. <laughs> anything and everything. We'd love to hear your ideas and kind of see where this group is uh, wanting to migrate next. So anyway, without further ado, let us dive into this week's episode because it was nuts. Um, <clears throat> now, this episode Mama. was called Spilt Milk, which I thought was a pretty clever title. <laughs> And gross. <laughs> and very gross. Which brings us to the opening scene. Um, we had been warned about this scene. Well, why don't you just, why don't you go ahead and describe it then? Uh, I already, well, I already forget what Ryan Murphy said, but he said, no one's done anything like this on TV before. And sure enough, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this on TV. But Dylan McDermott shows up, and uh, he's sitting on the couch smoking a bowl. And then... <laughs> hey, was what was was he just smoking weed? I was pretty sure. Was yeah, it, I, it was I weird. thought he was maybe having a Breaking Bad moment for a minute there. Oh uh, no, that wasn't a crack pipe. <laughs> it wasn't okay. Ah, yeah. I looked very closely. I'm pretty sure it was weed. Um, <laughs> didn't look like any. I mean, it didn't look like what I 
see as a crack pipe. But anyway, <sighs> maybe someone probably one of our listeners thinks otherwise. Anyway, the door uh, there's a knock on the door, and uh, this voluptuous. Uh, beautiful woman walks in and uh, her name's pandora <laughs> boy does Do he open not... pandora's box i know that's the joke <laughs> my first thought is i forget what movie it's from and i know it's a chick flick but uh the character goes i once knew a girl named pandora she never let me see her box though <laughs> anyway, well she so... sure as hell lets uh our boy johnny here see her box her boxes. Uh, well, her, we she well, might no. see her other box later too. We don't know. She did, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Uh, so basically, she um, has a baby that we find out about, and uh, he has hired her to. We find out eventually uh, to uh, basically nurse him to suckle. And he goes into this. He asks her this thing about like, does she start leaking when the baby starts crying, or when she hear at the sound of crying? It's like. Very uncomfortable, and he seems, like, very turned on by the idea of this, and she goes through, like, she's describing it all sensually, but it's just gross how she's talking about how when her baby cries, her bra gets all wet, and it's it's a little bit yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, that is not hot. No, not hot in the slightest. But then we have this scene where it's, like, following his mouth as she, like, opens up I her know. bra, and roll credits. We're, I know, we're like... Yeah, we see nipple, nipple, nipple. No, okay, good. Whoa, that was that was that would be pretty risque for a uh, uh, TV. Close call, but they did get damn close. Uh, but whoa, weird opening scene, and we really get into Johnny's psyche deeply, deeply here. Um, why do you think they started out with this this image at the beginning of the episode? Well, I don't. So. Going into this, I'm assuming that this is that Johnny is um, the son of Lana and uh, Threadson. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this is kind of setting up the fact that we know that Lana has a baby, but maybe she doesn't want to breastfeed him, or clearly she had the baby and it was taken from her, or she didn't want to deal with it, or something like that, right? There's some so level of animosity, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. He obviously had a mommy complex, and the only one that we know that is probably going to be a bad mother or does not want to be a mother is Lana. So, you know, you assume it's, that's what, uh, is, um, that's, re- it's re- reflecting that relationship. Yeah. And I mean, obviously this episode is all about babies. <laughs> and so yeah. it, we're really kind of set tone here. <laughs> Can um, I point out though, after the scene, you know, cuts, we, I don't know if you got this, but I immediately got the, um, commercial for the new uh uh guillermo uh del toro uh um oh mother or mama or whatever mama. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, go, mama, <laughs> mama. I was like what this is planned well well played yeah well placed excuse yeah, me that looks like a creepy movie too i'm gonna check that out probably yeah me too probably actually he's good he's it's, really good well it's got the guy from game of thrones in it which who plays jamie um anyway off topic jamie lannister <laughs> yes Lannister. Yeah. Um, back to American Horror Story. Okay, we jump back into the episode. We see Kit is in a straitjacket in a cell. You know, coming off last episode, we got to remember he told Threads and Ware that he hid the tape because he wanted to save his baby. Um, so Threadson comes in and basically gets Kit up off the floor and says, "You know, we're both willing to move heaven and earth for our children, or whatever." Um, so he takes Kit into the common room where. Pepper is pretty much warding off all the crazy people from Grace and her baby. Yeah. Pepper's taking that role seriously, man. Grace's guardian. She's not messing around. Badass Pepper, although I thought she had stronger powers, but let's talk about that uh, in a sec. So, we, we, first of all, the music here 
is once again Great. we have interesting kind of upbeat music as he's coming in a little bit jukebox music for sure mm-hmm. and we see uh baby thomas and kit is holding the baby and he's asking grace to um share her memories of when she was abducted and so she right. says and by the way it takes him a long time to finally ask that as soon as she show, as soon as he shows up there wouldn't your first question be like uh, what happened to you no uh, kidding how yeah. did you have a baby in a few days or weeks i don't know i forgot i don't really i'm confused on the timeline to begin with but he wait he waits like long enough and finally starts asking her that yeah right and so she describes him as shards of, of glass and we kind of see walk through some of her memories here, and she talks about seeing a bright light after being shot, and she's thinking she's dead. And then we basically see them implanting the fetus into her, and it looks like a giant-ass thing. It looks like they're shoving a pretty much... She said something about how, like, oh, time goes faster up there, so that's how it grew so fast. But I don't know what it looked like to you, but the way it looked is if they were shoving a fully formed baby up her badge. I don't know. What do you think? They, they shoved it up her noonie. Yeah. Um... So that was kind of gross and uncomfortable. And there's all sorts of, like, white sterile stuff. And she's, like, stuck to a table. And then, um, you know, Kit asks about Alma. And Grace says something about how not everyone can make it or something. But actually, the aliens are good. She says they do make mistakes up there, is what she said. I don't yeah. And I'm, I, I was assuming that was supposed to mean that some for some reason Alma died. That's what I thought, too, yeah. And, well, we kind of get that impression because Grace has that... I don't know, she's maybe describing this to him, but we see the image of her kind of floating through this water, like kind of going down in a dark lake or big, big thing of water, basically. And, and then she kind of rolls over and then she sees a body and the body rolls over and it's Alma. Yeah. Um, who looks dead. Right. So not really sure. What's, but I guess again, then again, great. We thought Grace was dead too. Right. So, um, but then uh, Grace says this thing about how Kit is the only is the is a link between, you know, Alma and, and Grace, and um, she calls the baby special and says he's going to change how people think, and people are going to listen to him. Now this was all very weird imagery. What? What? Okay. What were your? Th- I have a little bit of a theory here, but what were your thoughts when she was saying this? That I, I don't know. It, it was this baby might be the antithesis of um, or the antagonist of Bloody Face is kind of where I was. What I was thinking. <laughs> That's interesting. So we have like the I don't know. What do you think? It sounded like he, she was basically. This was like the second coming of Christ kind of thing. But the, but the oh, aliens yeah, were definitely I mean, you know leader of yeah. men all that kind of stuff. And we have this. That's true. I mean, it wasn't an immaculate conception, but. It was a well, alien assisted conception. A, yeah, it was an implantation. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if these aliens are some. I mean, we kind of talked about this before, like the aliens being the god force in this whole show and what that's supposed to mean. And I mean, they have all the kind of that white color. You know, white is what you know is often seen as god. And here, these aliens live in this completely immaculate white landscape. I don't know. So I mean, I'm sure we'll learn more about that. But it kind of seemed like. We had this baby Jesus figure. That's that's the imagery I got, at least. Yeah, de- that definitely. I got that. Uh, um, they imply that with the language she uses, for sure. Yeah. And then, so, he asks Grace to marry him, and they have this touching scene until the Monsignor enters, and they take the baby to a home. Um, yeah, I, saw, th- I was like, man, Threadson has this plan because he, he allows it to happen, clearly. <laughs> yeah, he comes in and basically says, you know, 
maybe I can help you out if you help me. You know, you, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, which he kind of was doing before a little bit too when he got Kit to confess the first time. So we already kind of know what his plan is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of bummed. I don't know. I wasn't bummed, but during this scene, it, like the the compassion and uh, attraction I felt toward the characters of Lana and Kit and Jude grew exponentially when I saw them all together kind of you know obviously dancing last episode but kind of teaming together and scheming together and then when he goes back to Grace I kind of I still I feel a little more for him than I did before but I'm still like oh god there's Grace with that baby that we know nothing about and we don't get any real real true answers as to why and what's going on with the aliens. All we know is they did something to her, which we already inferred to begin with. All right. We're kind of falling back on this storyline again. And it, this has such been such a kind of a plotting storyline. Um, but, you know, we yeah. have a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. So hopefully we're going to get some answers here soon. Uh, so uh, uh, leading up to this really cool stair scene we have... Um, Oh. We have this. We we see Lana. She's being retrieved basically by Mother Superior, who, as we saw in the last episode, Judas pretty much asked to to save Lana. Um, somehow Mother Superior believes Jude, of course, and actually helps Lana escape. So, and she's going to give her her uh, her patient file so she can write this expose that she's been wanting to write basically since the first time she tried to break into Briarcliff. Right. Um, and so Lana, I do, pulls- I do love when before she you know, goes to do what you're about to say, probably. Um, Lana's like, why are you trying to do this? And and Mother Claudia <laughs> tells her, you know, you, you do have one friend here. And then she looks at Jude, and Lana's mm-hmm. like, what? And Jude looks pretty crazy at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, she looks like she's lost it a little she bit. She is needing that dough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, and Lana, I thought this was kind of cool. She pulls the, the recording out of that bag of flour that was hidden in the drawer. Yeah. <laughs> a pretty bad, bad I, ass I, place. I was to trying to remember what that was at first. I was like, what? She, she, I thought she stole the Dominique record or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta okay. get out of there with Memories. that. Memories. She's going to make a scrapbook or a slideshow to that later on. <laughs> She's going to make a, a photo slideshow. <laughs> Throw in some Sam McLaughlin in there a little bit to make you keep the mood down. I um, will remember you, <laughs> Oliver Threadson. And we okay, and then we see this biblical imagery too from Mother Claudia, where she says, you know, um, she wants to see Barclay pulled down in the earth salt, and we kind of see like this Sodom and Gomorrah type imagery right here. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I remember that from Sunday school as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, we're we're kind of seeing, you know, Briarcliff, and we kind of know this for a while, is this just place of rampant sin, evil, whatever. And uh, before leaving, Lana goes and talks to Jude and basically tells her she's coming back for her. And so we kind of have been able to see how their relationship has evolved from, you know, these beginning episodes to the point now where they're so closely tied and Jude's kind of redeemed herself in Lana's eyes a little bit. And it's right. been quite a transformation. This reminds me kind of of one of the themes I saw of this episode was loyalty. Um, you know, Jude's or Jude's loyalty to Lana. To, you know, previous episode saying you need to get that one out to Mother Superior, and then Lana going to Jude and saying, you know, I won't leave you here. You know, showing loyalty to her, and then the the uh, the, the scene we're about to show right now, or that you're about to talk about right now, is Kit. You know, showing loyalty to Lana, helping mm-hmm. her try to get. I don't know, the, just the loyalty to uh who's who stuck by you and who, who stood up for you and who helped you out through the all their journeys really and they didn't all start out like that but in the end they're showing who they're loyal to 
That's true. We get like this sense of companionship in this episode. And so let's talk about this scene because the way it's shot is pretty cool where we have like the split screen and we have Lana coming down the stairs as Threadson and Kidder at the bottom of the stairs. Those stairs um, are iconic now, man. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we've seen him do so many interesting things with that spiral staircase from the, you know, overhead shot and from when we saw last episode, Sister Eunice falling in slow motion off the stairs, even from that entry shot when we first came into Briarcliff and we slowly backed out, you know, the shit, those stairs are, I mean, they are iconic. They've made for a lot of really cool camera tricks. And this yeah. is just another one of them. Um, Lana slowly descending down the stairs and, you know, in her disguise, trying to get out. And basically, Threadson's trying to talk Kit into compelling Lana to give up where the tape is in order to save his baby. Right. He's um, pretty much threatening him. Right. And so, but we, we do see this companion kind of companionship where even though Threadson is, you know, offering to say, you get the baby back for Kit, um, Kit still shows loyalty to Lana by keeping Dr. Threadson's attention. So he doesn't turn around and, and see her. Right. The and tension think, is built so well throughout that. And right when like, there's that moment where it's like, <laughs> I think it comes right as the, like the break point where it's like either Kit's going to give her up or be her companion is right where we see her face in both panes at the same time. Did you notice that? That was great. We have like the parallel scene and then we find out that he's going to remain loyal and then she keeps going and then it's like reversed and I thought that was right. really cool. He, yeah, Kit does a quick little distraction as Lan is about to pass by. <laughs> totally reminded me of a few episodes ago when Threadson is trying to get Lana to escape and the the, the, the orderly is uh, trying to light a cigarette and right when he's about to look up and see Lana trying to walk out the door, Threadson's there with the lighter, click, and exactly. lighting the cigarette and uh, distracting him from seeing Lana walk out. That's right, another kind of cool exit the roles scene. Have and, exactly, and this time, last time it was Lana, or Threadson assisting, this time it's Threadson, she's trying to slip past, and so... right. So much kind of flipping of, of characters and stuff in this. Right. That was beautiful, man. I love that shot. I thought it was great. The camera work in this was in, just oh, this interesting. Cinematography awesome. and editing mm -hmm. is brilliant in this episode. It, this episode was all about that. All about that. Mm -hmm. um, so Very neo-noir. <laughs> so we have this awesome scene where Lana gets in the cab. Threadson realizes, somehow knows it was her. Runs outside just in time to see her. With one hand, Bam. Up goes the recording against the window. Bam! Middle finger. And right. drive and that's, away. That's the, that's the uh, in every horror movie, there's always that F.E. moment, you know, where, you know, they're kicking the monster or they're stabbing Freddy Krueger or Jason or, you know, the, the, the big F.E. moment for the, the hero or the heroine. And that was Lannis. But it was so simple and not over the top. It was beautiful. I loved it. You know, it was just a simple boom, not a finger flip, not a uh, yelling, not a overly dramatic thing. It was just subtle, perfect. It was. It was. It was an awesome, an awesome moment there. And I might have fist pumped. I think I'm. Yeah. I, I mean, how could you not? Really? Let's be. I mean, we've been waiting for this kind of come up all season. Um. Well, at least since we knew that Threadson was bloody face. And we don't really know where Lana's going, and we think that probably she's going to escape and write this expose. Well, she's actually waiting for Threadson when he gets home, back to that creepy-ass apartment with the skin lamp. Um, and, okay, this scene is is nuts. This, this scene, the way, like you were saying, the cinematography, this scene could win a... Emmy just on cinematography. This single scene could win an Emmy on cinematography, just the way it was shot. Beautiful, um, beautiful. 
so many bizarre tricks. We have Lana with the gun in the living room. We have this kind of slow piano music in the background. And the camera angles are jumping around everywhere. We have, like, these weird shots where, like, it's looking at the fireplace and Threadson's kind of off to the side. And we see this yeah. gun from so many angles. We see it, like, bird's eye view, side view, underneath view, super close up. Right. The shadow casted on the brick wall above the above the fireplace. It reminded me of. Um, I mean, it's very new and noir, but it reminded me of like lost stuff you'd see in like Sin City or something like that. I agree exactly. And then we have like, um, you know, Lana says the police are coming, and she's giving him the recording, and she's not going to let him get away. And Threadson's going to pour himself, make himself a martini, basically. And we also have like these like it's kind of like jump. We have these jump cuts, you know, where it's like. Everything's happening in like this kind of stop motion kind of feel. What was the, what in your mind? What was the effect of like this? All these weird camera angles and kind of the the jumpy feel of this scene. Uh, well, I mean, I think it built the tension because you know we're jumping around and it, that staccato beat or that staccato rhythm of shots makes you a little off edge and a little uneasy. We should feel comfortable because Lana is in, is in control as soon as Dresden shows up. But when he starts making his drink is when you get nervous. Then we get the shot of the, the gun and stuff. They're like, oh, God, things may not go the right this way. I mean, the Threadson, you get the, I mean, you kind of felt like he was going to do something the way, and maybe that's right. Maybe it's because of the way they were doing it. Like everyone, they're pretty still or still. And, you know, the movements are not exactly, you know, fast or anything like that. But then the way the camera's moving does kind of put you on edge. And then, right. I mean, I kept thinking that, that, that Threadson was going to grab something from the fireplace and do something to her or like grab a brick or something, right. you know, like the way <laughs> the that was the shoot- fireplace and the zoom into that was, the, yeah, they're definitely trying to suggest things or red herrings, maybe, perhaps. But. Right, but then he just flips the fireplace on, and we start kind of jumping back and forth in time, back to... And a beautiful transitions, though. To... My, the first one they do to, to the future. Mm-hmm. But they the first one they do is the shot, uh, it's from the ceiling, and it's looking down at Lana's hand holding the gun, and it kind of just tra- it tracks all the way, still looking down toward the couch and all of a sudden on the couch we have johnny with the uh prostitute johnny pandora johnny johnny is uh suckling pandora and johnny's and, wiping his mouth <laughs> and this is when we re- this is when we kind of re- i don't i didn't notice this at the beginning this is kind of when we noticed it's, it's the same apartment right it's the same part i mean it, do, do you think so because there was the wasn't there the fireplace too or am i wrong about that I, you know, I did not notice. That's interesting, though. I, I, I did not notice if it was or not. I, I wrote hmm. I wrote in my notes, same apartment, question mark, and maybe it's not. But it looked like, I mean, it was a smooth enough transition that I was thinking, is that the same furniture? I don't is think that it the same was. Setup? Okay. Because I remember when he, when Johnny opens the door to let Pandora in, mm. they walk immediately, and the door would be where Lana's at. That's right, and there's like that glass pane, so it must not be. And it, this but... is, they're in the basement, or close to the basement. Well, what that just goes to show is this transitions were so smooth that I believed that for a second, so, you know. Right, um, right, right. So Jim, uh, the, the thing is, after oh yeah, go ahead with what um, what um, Johnny's doing. I was just going to say we had this. You know, we go to the couch where Johnny's just pulling back from the teat, and he's got fresh milk on his lip, which is disgusting. Dylan McDermott, yeah. I, I look, props to him for being so gross <laughs> in this show this season with that rat tail and with Ugh. the. I mean, he's legitimately terrifying and gross and creepy. He's not the pansy Ben Harmon we saw in the last season. Yeah, he's starting to get a little upset, though. You know, you can see his emotions are starting to churn a little bit after he's finishing up talking to the talking to Pandora. But we move immediately from him before he gets riled up at all, and we we just continue transitioning, uh, uh, moving the camera the same direction that it was initially, 
from Lana, and all of a sudden we're back at Threadson because um, um, Johnny starts talking about his mother and why he is the way he is, and then it moves right to Threadson. It's like, oh my god, it's like they're in the same room. And they go, they do that mirror zoom, which was awesome. Oh, that was so cool too. <laughs> that was such a cool transition where they looked up to the mirror, and it's like you can see the past through the mirror, and we suddenly zoom back in. Before we go back to the present, you know, do that transition though. I just want to say what a great line it was when Pandora said to Johnny, "Either you have a mommy fixation or a calcium deficiency." <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Pandora was pretty entertaining. I felt kind of... Well, we kind of knew what she had coming, but... Yeah, I felt bad for her, though. She had a kid. <laughs> yeah, she had a couple good one-liners, though. Mm-hmm. And some pretty um, big boobs. So, so we're kind of playing with Johnny's... I don't, not his memory, because he obviously wasn't there, but kind of his storytelling of what went on in the past. And we see the gun in the drawer for the first time. Um, and Lana's asking Threadson about what happened to Wendy. And he kind of gives this gruesome story about how, Ugh. well, basically he had sex with her corpse. He was a necrophiliac. And that Twice. scene was disgusting. At least. He just said multiple times. He didn't say how many. And that that look on his face when he finally figured it out, when they were showing him on the bed and, like, he's, like, getting frustrated and then he flips her over and, like, he has that creepy smile when he finally knows what he's doing. It's... I mean, mm. that was spine tingling. It was it was gross. Poor Wendy. It was it was effective, and and yeah, and you see, like Wendy's face is right up in there, her dead eyes and everything like that. Right. Yeah, that was pretty horrible. Well, um, they shot that. I mean, they shot it disturbingly, but they also shot that very tactfully. I thought, you know, all things considered, I mean, they were able to make it gross without showing too much. I mean, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> it was more like the it was more like the thought of it was gross, and the expressions were gross without showing too much. Which you're right. I think that's very impressive how they were able to convey that. In you know, it's been kind of impressive what they've been able like with, within the constraints of you know cable television. This isn't premium channels like HBO or whatever, where you know show like Game of Thrones can show boobs all the time or whatever. <laughs> They're limited in what they can do, and they really toe the boundaries so well. I think you know. Yeah, definitely. Um. So anyway, we, you know, Johnny goes on this mommy rant, and we can do that mirror transition, and then... Um, At this point, though, I'm like, okay, you said the cops were coming, Lana. Where are the cops? I know. She... They're she taking the time getting there. Um, <laughs> it took, yeah, it took a while. And uh, Threadson says that he's going to go to the asylum. He's not going to be killed because she's talking about the electric chair. And he says, you know, I'm crazy. They're going to put me in the asylum and you can come visit me with our child every so often. And he's going over to the, you know, get it, you know toward where all the drinks are again. And we think this is maybe when he's going to grab the gun. And then he, he basically entices Lana or like compels Lana to shoot him. Did you now? Did you did you think that? Or, I don't know. I think I was going to ask you the same question. I kind of, I was I wrote down. Did he want to be shot? Right. Because I, I kind of felt like he was the way he was talking and the way he went on about like scattering Wendy's body and stuff like that. It almost seemed like he wanted her to kill him. Yeah, I I, I thought he was going to grab the gun and shoot himself because he was like caught. But then when he started saying things like, you know, he asked her what that if she was going to get rid of the baby, she's like, duh. And he's like, well, then I have no use for you. And then it looked like he was going to grab it, but I, you can't really tell. I don't know. I couldn't really tell. I, I assumed he was going to shoot her. I, I initially thought he was going to either, you know, go have, uh, like you said, in, uh, um, coerce her and entice her to uh, kill him. But after a few things he said, I think he was trying to kill her. So I, 
I don't know, though, because I, I, and just the way he was talking and everything, I wonder if some, I mean, obviously, this won't make any sense, but if somehow he, he had it in his mind that maybe by killing him, his baby would live, you know what I mean? I, I Obviously, I he had no reason. He had no reason to believe that, and it came so close anyway. But just the—I mean, it, let's get some opinions here later on. People chime in and send us your, your thoughts on this. Did he, was he? Did he want to die here? What's what? I mean, I'm interested to hear what other people think. Right. I do want to point <laughs> out the best line of this whole sequence was after he described all of uh, what he did to Wendy and where her body is, how it's cut up everywhere, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, then he and then he sent some, something along the lines of like, and that brings me to you, and then but it didn't work out. And then he says a, a line that there's it's in movies and it's something my friends and I say sometimes, but we'll always have Paris. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's a lot. That's the classic line from Casablanca, mm-hmm. um, which I don't really. <laughs> was just supposed to be ironic, I suppose, because I was obviously. Their version of Paris. Paris. <laughs> Their version of Paris being a terrible experience in a basement with was rape, rape and, and yeah domestic violence and yeah yeah so pretty horrifying. Um, you forget Paris. It's <laughs> another movie line from something I don't remember though. So uh, we so he's dead. We have this sequence. So Threatson is dead and. We jump into the future, and it's Wendy's grave and this all-white mausoleum, which is strangely kind of makes you think a little bit of, you know, the alien chamber with all the white we have going on. And Lana's there with some friends, and she says she's going to move to New York, and <laughs> basically she blames herself for what happened to Wendy. Right, um, she because says she it's was her so fault. Mm-hmm. Because she would do anything to get that story. And her friend kind of gives her the card to go see the you know abortion doctor, and they kind of have this line about journalists thrown in there. And I don't know. I was going to ask you what you thought about this, where she's like, "It's just vultures. A vultures attracted to the scent of rotting meat." That's just. Yeah. I felt like that was a little bit of an unnecessary jab at journalists. I don't know if that was Ryan Murphy or someone who just yeah. threw that in there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was a little you know thrown off by that because obviously we are one, but um, or we are we are two, but I don't know. It was. I just took it as like a future um, commentary on paparazzi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not not like true journalism, but paparazzi. Um, right. I I do I did want to point out though that we have talked about this theme before too, which ambition is kind of a theme with like the Monsignor and Lana and Jude. Jude at one point, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and they all want they have these big dreams and they they're working to get to them doing whatever they want. Uh, obviously, we know that especially this episode we see Monsignor <laughs> doing that. But Lana, you know, says basically her ambition killed Wendy. You know, the cost was too much. She didn't realize that. And that's what they're all realizing. I mean, so many care. I mean, Arden's ambition is, you know, with with the Raspers and everything, too, and kind of creating the super race. I mean, they they were all kind of, in some ways, destroyed by their own ambitions. Um, Although I think we had predicted early on that Arden would be eaten by Raspers, and obviously he wasn't. He was consumed by innocence and anger. He killed his baby, so... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, they also she also said she was a sapphic reporter, and I haven't heard the word sapphic. <laughs> yeah, forever. But and then we get that awesome scene of her walking down the mausoleum and kind of like the way Audrey it followed Hepburn, the camera. Mm-hmm, totally, and we follow Sunglasses her outside, on. and she gets in the car, and all the paparazzi are everywhere. And I wasn't sure at this point whether or not it was like she'd already written the expose or, or what exactly the thing was. And then she no, says something. She, yeah. Oh, oh, I see. What you mean. When she's leaving the mausoleum. I Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and so um, then she says that she already wrote, or she, no, she she said that she read my book or something like that. So we she get said, that idea. read my book. Yep. Yeah, I have one thing to say. Read my book. Exactly. And, so we assume that her book isn't published yet. Is I mean, right? Yeah. I think there was like newspaper articles and stuff about her, what happened to her, but her version of the story had not come out yet because she had just buried Wendy. So I'm assuming it was pretty uh, uh, recent after having, you know, escaped uh, Briarcliff. Right, exactly. Um, and so, what do you think about that? I was like, man, she's still making this book happen. What What do you make of that? Like, like she talks about her how her ambition killed Wendy and you know caused a lot of pain and suffering for herself. Do you think that she owes this so those that pain and her Wendy's death doesn't go in vain, or is she starting to get swallowed up by that ambitious monster again? I don't even know if it's ambition, but she kind of seems to be starting to get swallowed by darkness of of some kind, you know? Because it's she like, uh, I mean, let's be honest. If it, it's yeah, she's the one who broke into Briarcliff in the first place, wanted the story, whatever. But, you know, Threadson is the one who killed Wendy and who totally destroyed her. I mean, Jude's the one who put her in there in the first place, but it was Threadson that did all the other stuff. I mean, she's been a victim all the way through. And so... She doesn't blaming think so, though. Not anymore. Um, I mean, she was blaming them, obviously, before, and even up until she shot Threadson, he was the cause for all the pain in her entire life up until this point. Or right. Once she eliminated that... Now she's kind of off on this, who knows what kind of uh, a journey that she's on now. And it's like she's changing. She's changing. And it's like she's slowly releasing, like, I don't know. It's like somehow his darkness is like seeping into her a little bit. It kind of seemed like right here. Um, So I wasn't sure what was going on there. Uh, But we learn a little bit more about her (laughs) coming up. But, you know, to kind of parallel that, we kind of, back at Briarcliff, we have the common room. What did you say? Don't we have Kit getting out next? Is that what is it? Uh, no. Well, we have a Jude part first. So Jude, oh. Jude, Jude has her little tantrum and knocks over the pills in the common room while the music plays. And we kind of see the Montagnier reading and we kind of have these Briarcliff cliff headlines um, transparently passing through the back about how Briarcliff is terrible and how the Montagnier hired bloody face and all this stuff. And he seems incredibly calm all the way through this, by the way. Yeah. Which is <laughs> it's surprising how he was able to retain his... Uh, or kind of regain his composure after everything that happened, but maybe from after murdering th- Eunice, after, yes. maybe murdering Eunice kind of made him feel like he was off the hook a little bit or something like that. Um, but then we had this this shot where he's talking to one of the orderlies, and it's shot through the fireplace. Did you notice that we have like the flames on the bottom? I mean, that was another We're really cool hell. shot too. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, it yeah, couldn't be much more literal than that. But I thought that was super cool the way they did that one. Absolutely, I agree. Um, but basically, they, they're coming to get the Monsignor to go talk to Jude uh, after her little tantrum. And she's at the jukebox kind of hippie dancing in front of it and basically says the only thing that Eunice, the devil, ever did good was was bring the, you know, know that there was healing in music or the healing effects of music. Right. And Which I think, I, I kind of thought maybe this was a comment. Um, this has kind of been a theme through, like, music and its effect on, you know, its kind of healing effect or ability to drive you crazy has been kind of uh, another theme we've had going through the whole season. You know what I mean? I mean, what, yeah. do, what do you think about the effect music has had throughout? Well, I mean, they've used Dominique over and over and over to kind of keep a, a, a constant uh, uh, sound for everyone there, something that they can uh, socialize 
or, or be sensitized to and socialize around. Um, but then when Jude mixes, or I'm sorry, Eunice mixes it up, you know, you see, well, we see it through Jude's uh, hallucination, but it, it, it also works, you know, in a different way. And we have the name game, and I mean, even back in I Am and Frank, we had the music had such an effect there too. I mean, they're kind of toying with. I think it's just commenting on the effects of music on and how it can play with your mind and set a tone for everything too. I think it's a um, subliminal push for us to watch Glee. <laughs> That's, I think that we can read that into it and then uh, do as you will. <laughs> I'd rather just, like you said, see our Briarcliff version of Glee. More of that. Um, Briarcliff versus uh, whatever the high school is in Glee for nationals. <laughs> um, so Jude goes off on the Monsignor and tells him about the irony of him basically giving it up to the devil. And uh, she kind of finally comes out about how, yeah, she had these lustful thoughts about him and, and believed in him, but now she finally has clarity right. in insanity. She says she had shame and disgust. Yeah, now she's disgusted with him and she can see through him. And it's, uh, you know, now that she's deemed crazy, she can finally see clearly. And as she's being dragged away, she yells that he will not prevail and stuff. It's like she's putting a curse on him yeah. or something, really. It's pretty cool. Yeah, she's like, she does say, I'm more sane now than, uh, than I was when I was head of Briarcliff. Right. Like, I have clarity is what exactly spot on. Right. And so let's kind of finish up this Lana Jews storyline here. Back to Lana. Um, she's at the abortion doctor. She's going to go through with it. Um, the doctor sterilized all the material. She's getting ready to do it. We kind of have this smoke of the kettle. Um, we're acting as a transition. And basically, as the doctor's about to do it, Lana's having like this post-traumatic stress disorder. Flashback. Yeah, she's having all these flashbacks, and she makes her stop, and says, no more death. And so... Right. Who would have thought American Horror Story would take a pro-life stance? <laughs> or abortion rights stance, I should say. That's AP style. That's true. Surprise. I mean, uh, anti-abortion. Sorry, anti-abortion stance. Yes. <laughs> what did you say? Pro-abortion I said abortion style. rights, and oh, that's actually rights. complete opposite. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Um, Michael Deese would be so furious with me right now. It's a... Ah, oh, the memories. Sorry, Professor Deese. <laughs> Don't hit me. So, Lana <laughs> is going to have the baby. And um, she's... So, Lana's having the baby. She's having the baby. She takes the book to the police, and she wants the police to basically go with her to use this as a warrant to let Jude out, and Jude's going to be the whistleblower on Briarcliff. Um, also, uh, kind of a dick thing for the policeman to say here and kind of eye her up and down and be like, so is that bloody face's baby? I mean, it seems like, yeah, that'd be a little bit of a sensitive subject and you'd be a little bit more tender about it. But that's Yeah, that was pretty messed up. That was pretty messed up, but that's where we get this badass line where he says, you're one tough cookie. <laughs> what does she reply? She's like, she's like, I am tough. I feel like she, t okay, so she's smoking a cigarette. I am tough. Dramatic drag off the cigarette. Exhale. But I'm no cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, bam! That was, the, that was great. I feel like that was a that moment was a from like a Tarantino movie or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that line. I loved it. I loved it. Ah. I love also, and I don't love this, but I do love that they're historically accurate. She's smoking while she's pregnant. Yeah, God. <laughs> and we focus on her. We kind of go, we transition from her cigarette kind of down to her baby bump, you know? Um, yeah. 
She's becoming cold, man. I don't know what's going on with her character. Anyway, let's finish that and we can talk about what we think's happening. Yeah, she's getting harder. Um, and so, you know, they go back to Briarcliff and basically the Monsignor says Jude killed herself. And we see the scene in which she was hanging from the bed sheets from the ceiling. And I was praying that wasn't true. Right. Like, we can't lose all these people right now. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Lana doesn't believe him, but they have the death certificate, whatever. But then we get this awesome scene where, like, we follow the food plates that are passing, and we follow them down, and, like, we see all the food plates being, you know, get the food put on them, and each go into a cell, and we follow the last plate all the way down to the depths of Briarcliff, where Jude is basically in a dungeon going crazy. So I thought that was another awesomely shot scene in just another uh, string of really cool cinem- totally. cinematography going on in this episode. I looked this up. The director of this episode was Alfonso Gomez Rejon, which he uh, has done a few of these. He did the I Am, I Am Anne Frank Part 2 episode <laughs> also, which we absolutely loved. And that was the one we raved about the cinematography in that one, too. And so no, su- no right. surprise. And he has uh, – and he will be directing, I believe it's the season finale um, – Yes, he's he is directing the season finale called Madness End. So we have that to look forward to, which I know you and I are pumped about because he's he's done the shot the best episode by far. The, oh, or directed the best ones. Absolutely, that guy's been the best. So we, I I have no doubt that the season finale will be awesome as well. Um, and so kind of re- so we know Jude's still alive, but she's you know locked in the basement. And we kind of end this this storyline for this episode with Lana having the baby. Um, she doesn't want to see the baby, but the nurse brings her in and says the baby's been crying for seven hours and needs a second. I was like, stupid ass nurse. Don't you know who that is or possibly probably is? God, I was, I was really going to be calm. So brings the baby back and surprise, surprise, he needs a suckle. And so after kind of getting annoyed at first, she latches the baby on and tilts her head back and looks up to an upside down cross <sighs> yes and so beautiful imagery with that shot too great imagery man that upside down those upside down crosses scare the crap out of me if you've watched uh, any of the exorcist movies uh, the upside down cross ooh man that's spooky yeah and so we have a, I mean obviously a lot of illusion going on there um she won't look at the baby she will not look at the baby breastfeeding <laughs> Why is she doing this? Just to shut it up? Like, well, and so now that we're in, at the end of this episode, we can kind of talk about where this is going. So what do you think? Is she going to raise the kid? Is I don't know. I mean, it kind of hints that that, that baby might not be Bloody Face because Bloody Face it has a fixation with nursing. And if this if Lana does choose to nurse this baby, maybe that's not who it is. I don't know. Or does she? It's kind of a, it was yeah. Or hit. does she like after this, get, like he get he gets Give hooked he gets hooked on the know. breast once and then she treats him like shit for the rest of his life. Um, I don't know. And so I the teat is magical here though. Apparently, the magic teats that could be maybe that's the name of episode twelve. Um, that's a uh, bloody face junior spinoff. <laughs> Oh, that would be some creepy fetish stuff going on there. Yeah. But, uh, but it does seem that Lana's getting colder. She's getting, you know, she she she's like all about almost martyring herself. Like she wants to be the one to release the people, which I do truly believe she cares about them. But I don't know. As soon as she got out of Briarcliff, she, her character, I was less, I was excited for her to get out. But then she got so cold that I was less sympathetic toward her. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think this is kind of like, especially with Kit out as well now, this is kind of 
you know, seeing what it, it, it's what happens after, and that's always the question you have when you see scary movies or any movie. You want to know, okay, well, what happened to the characters after that? Well, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk are going to take us three episodes or two and a half episodes, really, to show us what does happen it, when they get out. Absolutely, I want to talk about that, but okay. So we have that going on with Lana, yeah. and then just so the, the way this kid storyline ends is, you know, he signs his release papers, he's able to go, and he has this conversation with the Monsignor where he basically um, wants his son back, he wants Grace back, he wants a family, and Mons- so he... Um, you know, they still have the papers from when Grace died officially that Arden had signed. And so he basically says, just pretend Grace died and I'll take her home with me. So they go home back to the same house he was living with it, with Alma before. Um, the furniture is all still strewn everywhere else. And they're kind of talking about making a life there. They go in and they hear kind of like that alien, like that like metallic noise. And so... I assume what that meant, like that metallic noise is like when Alma was being beamed down right then. Because, I mean, obviously the house was still dirty and stuff too. So she hadn't been there before. Right. So so they choose that moment to beam Alma down. He goes into the bedroom. He's a little bit freaked out with the baseball bat. And there's Alma with another baby. His other baby. Right. And so where the hell is this going? I we can't have know, two baby man. Jesuses. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm really kind of I, – I, I know they're going to answer this. But I, I'm more – not annoyed, but I'm kind of like – ready for some answers about these aliens because they're not really giving us anything. Yes, we've kind of almost completely left Briarcliff. We've gotten rid of all of our villains. Now we just have the alien mystery left. So, when Alma showed up, I was excited because I was like, okay, now we have some tension, we have some drama again for these last few episodes. But I think everything with Kit and Alma and Grace and Lana and Jude and the Monsignor who's Probably the most piss poor villain that they're using right now to be a villain. Every all the all the pieces are. And, and I'm sorry. And then also the future, Bloody Face Junior. Everything's kind of getting put into place for the big finale. Finale. I, I do believe that that will be coming with the present tense Bloody Face Junior. But mm-hmm. as far as our main characters go, that we've been going with through the whole season, I, I feel like it was a lot of shuffling. But they don't seem like they're. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's ready to. Um, and no, nothing really c- happened significant in this episode. All the things Threats did happen. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, Threatson but... died. Right, we lost our last villain. Um, but then everything post that has been just kind of moving into place, getting ready for the final two episodes. And this is what I wanted to ask you: is like, how surprised were you by the fact that we lost Threadson here? And like last episode, we lost our other two big villains, are being Arden and Devil Eunice, and like. It kind of feels like maybe these last two episodes are kind of like you said, they're, pa- they're post-Briarcliff. It's almost like an, a prolonged epilogue is now going to be our, our finale here. I, this, right. I did not expect this at all. I thought yeah. we were going to be hanging on to the end with this whole Bloody Face story with the whole – I mean, I thought – I mean, I guess we kind of are with modern-day Bloody Face now. And I get, maybe that's how that modern day is finally going to be tied into the past, it looks right. like. Um, so I, I – but I, I have to admit that I'm just kind of surprised at – the way every like the pace, just the pacing has been so interesting this season. It's kind of mm-hmm. they, they've thrown us a lot of curveballs. I I got to give it to them. I haven't seen a lot of it coming, and I thought Threadson would be the last one to go in the last episode, and that would be kind of what they right. hang on to. I was expecting like you know an old western shootout or something at the end, and then we have you know twenty minutes of the final episode where we kind of you know put the pieces together and see what happens. But we've had kind of you know you know people trickling out uh, through death villain wise you know throughout the last few episodes and it's it's interesting but it's not as rewarding as it 
typically is for me. I don't know. When when Eunice died, I was bummed, and that was that was a good death. Uh, when Arden chose to die with Eunice, that was kind of poetic, and, and uh, that one I was I, okay I li- with. I was okay with that one, too. I right. like that one, too. Threats and I was expecting to go out a little more, like a fist fight. Like, but that's also cliche, so maybe this is good that they didn't do it that way. But uh, it was less rewarding than... Um, than, than Arden, let's say. Um, although the I way, the way sh- they shot it made it much more cooler. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm sick of digesting. I, I agree. And I think maybe the reason it's not rewarding is because we were expecting this one to be the last, you know, up until the last moment thing that we we're going to get our, you know, kind of closure there in the final episode. And so all I can really say is that it just... I, I'm um, apprehensive about how the season's going to end now. Because... Right, we have two episodes gotta, left. I feel like they got to throw some really big stuff at us now that they got rid of, you know, we had all our big closure with all our big villains. So, I mean, yeah, we still have Bloody Face Jr. left, and yeah, we still have an alien story to wrap up, but they better have good big endings because the storylines I was really attracted to are kind of, I mean, th- those compelling villains are gone now. Right. We have basically Lana in her I'm going to rescue my best friend Jude storyline, and we have, you know, uh, Kit's, you know, Maury Povich, who's the father you know, storyline. Oh, and there's Alan aliens. And that part. Yep. Mm-hmm. And aliens. Uh-huh. And then we've got Bloody Face Jr. And Bloody Face Jr. the present. So this this episode really was kind of, is playing as the escape for most of them, but also like the transition to kind of connect us to the future. Right. It's pulling the present and the past together. In this right. Episode. Which is, you know, you need that thread, obviously, because we've, we've enjoyed it, but we've also been a little annoyed uh, with the future stuff because it just felt so out of place. You know, it was exciting. It was very modern. It was shot differently than the stuff in the 60s, but we were, you know, kind of w- wondering where it was going to go and how it was going to tie in. And I think that might be another reason that Threadson's death is not quite as satisfying is because it's, it takes place in more of a transition episode as sort of a transition right. tool versus it being the, you know, the peak of the episode. I mean, it, it's still kind of, but I mean, there was still a little bit of story after it and it wasn't like the big hit him hard very end of the episode thing that happened you know because right. we had the um and so before we jump into the next episode i'm going to go ahead and give my rating and just say i'm going to give this a four and the reason i'm going to give it a four out of five is because i think once again i love the directing i think it was very well shot but the, like i said the plot it felt like a bit of a transition story a bit of a transition episode and a lot of really good stuff went on and I still liked the plot, but, um, you know, there's storylines that needed to come together and I realized they needed this episode, but it wasn't as satisfying as maybe for instance, last episode was for me. Right. I I agree with you. I'm giving this a four out of five rubberman because Mm -hmm. I, 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 I am. I, ha- I have an affinity affinity for, um, uh, loyalty themes and this one really, you know, showed me even though these they weren't teamed up like I kind of want this you know rogue team uh, escaping the uh, asylum together. Uh, it, it was them you know helping each other out and and uh, uh, you know having each other's backs. So meaning Kit, Lana, um, and Jude. So I really appreciated that, and we finally got our I think our our main heroine Lana out of there. And that was great. Even though she started to become someone that's a little different uh, in character toward the end, I still appreciated that. And as you said, um, the the way it was shot and directed was absolutely beautiful. I didn't think it was over the top at all. I think that I, I love that style. So um, to Alfonso Gomez Rejon, 
I give props to. So four out of five mm. for me for sure. I was very happy with this episode. Me too. And like you said, I can't wait to see what he does with the finale. I, I, yeah. I, I have high hopes for that. And um, we'll see what happens with the storylines too. I hope it all comes together. Um, I'm, I mean, certainly going to give him the benefit of the doubt because they haven't really let us down yet. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm really confused. Not confused. I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm wondering though, where, where the hell are we going to go from here? Like what, what's happening? <laughs> and a great transition into, you know, our, our clips of the next episode. We see the Monsignor is, says he's going to try to help Jude get out of there for some reason. Um, we don't really know what his motivation is there. Cause it seems like he would just be better off letting Jude die at this point, but maybe he's still like somewhat hanging on to his, his faith and still believes he's good to some degree. Um, we also see Bloody Face Jr. It looks like, and now, I don't know if you felt the same way, like, is Lana still alive in the present day? That's kind of what I was hinting at here. Like, is he going to try to confront her and kill his mother? That's what I, that was implied to me, I thought. <laughs> is yeah. it, it, I wanted to make sure that you felt the same way, but that's what it seemed like. So I think we're gearing up to a Lana Bloody Face Jr. confrontation. Which I wonder if it's going to be Lana, as, like, with makeup being an old lady, or if it's going to be Lana, like, an, a different actress. Doesn't matter. Speaking of actresses, real quick. The abortion doctor. Was that Frances Conroy? It really looked like her, and it sounded like her, I thought. And it was, like, dark in that room. I don't know. Probably. I wasn't, I wasn't paying close enough attention to that at that point to, to her, so I, I didn't yeah, notice I that. Um, I'll, I'll look that up. But okay. anyway, okay, back to, back to the uh, um, future episodes. And, and then we get this other clip that it made it look like Lana never wrote the book. It's like what? older I didn't kid see is that. You didn't, well, excuse me. You had this moment where older Kit is in a restaurant with older Lana, or slightly older Kit and slightly older Lana at that point. I don't know. What, do you remember you saw that? And oh, I do remember seeing that. And he says something to her about you were supposed to free Briarcliff, and she says something like things change. That I I took that <sighs> as meaning that she never wrote the book in the end. That she never oh. wrote her expose. Hmm. And I, that, I, I mean, because if she did, wouldn't that have freed Briarcliff and like made him tore? I mean, that was what was going to break it. That's what the whole point yeah. of it all was. Right, and so that's right. kind of what I, I thought the implication was there. And I was wondering Maybe why she, she grows to love her baby and becomes a good mother and doesn't want to do that anymore. And now I don't know. I'm just trying to think of any like the conspiracy theorism that her baby is not bloody <laughs> fits. I feel like there's got to be a twist, a, a twist that we are, we're not going to see coming. Um, sure. Like, it feels Violet like we're set dead. up for that. That was the big one in first season, right? And I and I feel like we've got the double, the double ba- the other two babies. I mean, there's all these babies there's, that there's they got to do something with. To choose from. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine we're going to go through the next two episodes without seeing at least one of those babies pop also pop up in present day, and so. For sure. Well, we know it's probably not Elma's because Elma's. Like probably I don't know if she's half the bi- black or not. Be a biracial baby. Yeah, yeah. So we wouldn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. It looks it looks interesting. I have no idea what's going on anymore. I feel like I it, it, th- I feel like literally throwing predictions like predictions right now are just like throwing spaghetti against a wall because I you know who has I, any clue? Yeah, I agree. It, I mean they've and that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool that we've gotten to this point where like. Where can they go from here? I have no yeah. idea. I have no idea what the alien storyline is going to do. I, I have no idea. So anyway, anyway, pretty awesome. We've been going. Lo- we've been going pretty long now. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so too. Um, 
Anyway, great episode. That was a lot of fun. Um, once again, we want to remind you to uh, give us uh, reviews and ratings on iTunes, to check us out at thisamericanhorrorstory.com, email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, and like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. People, uh, Chris, where can people um, find more of what you're up to these days? Hey, I'm on Twitter, at Chris Husted. That's Chris with a K. And I am on Twitter as well at, at TJMoss11. So thank I did get you. a tweet from someone today during the show. Yeah? Yeah. I'm trying to look up and see who it was real quick so I can give him a shout out because that was pretty awesome. Hang on. Hang on. One second. It was Diona. Or Dihana. I don't know how to say it. But anyway. Thanks for um, thanks for tweeting me. Appreciate that. Definitely That's appreciate all. <laughs> it. One of our one of our favorite fans always leaving great comments on the Facebook page, and we want to encourage you guys to keep doing that because we have some fun conversations there, and uh, we we like to throw up random stuff we find that is relevant to the show whenever we can to. Also, remember to su- yeah, and remember to submit your um, ideas for what you want us to do next if you are interested in listening to more, um, which we very much appreciate. But anyway, uh, can't wait for next week. Um, until then. Signing off, uh, and happy hauntings. Bye. The name game. Judy, 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 Bobooty, Banana, Fana, Fofooty, Thief, I'm Moody. Judy. Lana, 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 Bobana, Banana, Fana, Fofana, Thief, I'm Momana. Lana. Come on, everybody. Right.